Okay, welcome to another episode of the Edlo podcast. Subscribe. That's what I'm I say every time. That's what a famous YouTuber once told me that I needed to tell everybody at the beginning and end of every one of my episodes. But today, I'm very excited. We have uh, a sports historian, a a sports writer, Bob Ryan. Bob, thanks for coming on the Edlo podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to be with you. Yeah. So, Bob, you you have a long career of of writing, uh, particularly for the Boston Globe. Um, And uh, I wanted to ask you just right out the gate, you know, what got you into sports writing? If ever anybody that you will encounter was uh, set in motion at uh, at an early age to follow a certain career path, uh, it was me. Uh, I can truthfully say that uh, from the time I was two years old, uh, I was immersed in sports due to my father's background and my father's uh, job, and uh, it it, uh, it it never never stopped. Uh, he was a uh, and I'm from Trenton, New Jersey, and he was a a uh, local, uh, very well known locally for being involved in sports in various capacities of promotion and marketing and public relations and such. And uh, at that time, uh, he was doing stuff for the uh, Trenton Giants of the Class B, that's in Bob, Interstate League and in um, minor league baseball. And, and where, in fact, in 1950, Willie Mays made his organized baseball debut. And according to all the family folklore, I was in, I was at the ballpark that night, as I was every night because he was working with the team. And, and my mother and took me, we went to the game every night. And so I was four years old. And, and can I say, I, w- I can say I was there when Willie Mays broke into organized baseball in Trenton in 1950. All right. Um, he then went for two years to Villanova, where he was the assistant athletic director and uh, was a promotions director. And so that got me in, exposed very deeply into college sports, Villanova uh, football and basketball. Uh, I started going to the Palestra and Penn Palestra and when I was six years old and, and uh, 1952. And so for those two years, 52 to 54, uh, I got my taste of college basketball, which, is, which I still have. Uh, and so it, my, I always say my foundation sports or, or, or baseball and college basketball. Those were uh, those oh. are the two uh, building blocks sports for me, uh, all due to my father's uh, you know position. Uh, and concurrent with that, however, is that I was a pretty smart little boy, and I, I uh, and and I uh, was a reader. I loved reading, and so it was logical mm-hmm. for me to be reading about sports as well as to being living a totally normal childhood in a neighborhood, a classic old fifties, forties, fifties, sixties kind of neighborhood uh, with uh, kids all over the place, all around. They just go out in the house in the morning and and spend all day playing with your friends. And you know, you get called in, literally called in for dinner. Bob, hey, time to eat. You know that that's <laughs> where I live. And and um, uh, but I was the only kid in the block. I'm sure you that knew the infield fly rule. And, mm. and, and for example, and I read all kinds of biographies and of teams and, and, and individuals, many of which are still in this bookcase behind me, believe wow. me. A book that I devoured called Baseball's Greatest Players it was written in 1955 and it included everybody from uh, Ed Delahanty of the 1890s to Roy Campanella. And, and I read mm. that backwards and forwards and I read biographies of Bob Feller's strikeout story and Joe DiMaggio's Lucky to Be a Yankee and, and um, ba- the Babe Ruth story by Tom Meany, which was written in 1947. And and uh, they're all up in the bookshelf right here. And in 1955, when I was nine, I was given a subscription to sports uh, to Sporting News by my by my parents. And and I also was given a book for Christmas called uh, uh, Modern Baseball Strategy, 
written by Paul Richards, who was then the manager of the Orioles. He uh, managed both the Orioles and the, and the White Sox over the years and was very well known in baseball. And I devoured that book and, and learned about such things as how you construct a batting order and well, what the process, thought process was and so forth and uh, value of the cutoff man and all that stuff. Um, so played little league baseball, you know, you know nice. played basketball, you know, lived a totally normal childhood in that regard. But unlike most kids, uh, who don't wake up on a, a, and say when they're seven or eight years old on a Sunday and are said, well, we're going to the polo grounds today or, well, we're going mm -hmm. to Connie Mac Stadium today or even Shide Park before it was Connie Mac Stadium. Uh, that's the life I led. And so I love it when people rhapsodize about, oh, I remember my first game. My father took me, my uncle Sid and my grandfather. And I remember the green grass and blah, 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 blah. You know, most people have that story. They remember the Right. I have no idea what my first game was. That's all I <laughs> I mean, seriously, there's not even remotely possible to tell you what my first game was. No idea. Yeah. Uh, but there were plenty of them. And and I always say that I do not remember a time in, my, in, in those years, those formative years, when we weren't at a game, going to a game, or getting ready to go to a game. That is how mm. we lived. And so mm. it was ever anybody was programmed or, or DNA or, or whatever, how you want to phrase it, to, to be oriented into a certain career path, it was yours truly. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I mean, do you ever, uh, I'm assuming, you know, you obviously have a passion for sports. I assume that you're, you're grateful for that childhood and, and being able to have that life. Oh, of course. Uh, you know, it's funny, you don't know things in, uh, yeah, until later. It was a great place to grow up too. Uh, it's it no longer necessarily so, but it was a great place mm -hmm. because the things like two things I cared about the most sports and music and, and sports were, you know, it was a big sports town, very big high school uh, basketball town, not so much football. Actually, way ahead of its time, it's a soccer town, although I didn't participate. But I can tell you, it was one of the three or four soccer hotbeds in America in the 50s. There weren't many. St. Louis, Bridgeport and Trenton were three of them. Anyway, um, and we were uh, plus we were only an hour or so, an hour and a half from the Jersey Shore. So that was part of our mm -hmm. life in the summer. And then mm -hmm. when rock and roll hit well, circa 54, 55, we had all the stations in New York and Philly. You know, and, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. and with television, unlike most markets of people grew up in the 50s, they had the three network affiliates. That was the, that was the sum total of their television opportunity, the three network affiliates in whatever market that you mm -hmm. lived in. Well, not so in Trenton, New Jersey. You got every channel on the dial except one because we had all the Philadelphia stations and all the New York stations. And with the New York stations, in addition to the network affiliates, you had Channel 5, Channel 11, Channel uh, uh, as well, which, which by the way, cha and Channel 9, they did the Dodger games. Channel 11 did the Yankees and the Giants games. So, and oh, wow. Channel 6 did the Phillies games. So we had this opportunity to see Major League Baseball, whereas most people in America and the great beyond, they got the game of the week. With Dizzy right. Dean and Blattner. That's what they got, yeah. period. We got baseball right. seven days a week and, and way ahead of its time. And so that right. I had that immersion as well. And and right. sports, sports, sports was an opportunity. And Trenton was really a great place to grow up. It, it couldn't have been better for somebody like me with those two dual passions. Sure. Wow. So your music passion, did, was it rock and roll that got you into that? It was, uh, no, it predated. I mean, I grew up, we always had a TV. We always watched a variety of shows. We were an Ed Sullivan family and, and uh, on Sunday nights at eight o'clock and, and uh, other variety, but that was the predominant variety show of the time. Ed Sullivan reigned from 48 to 71. And, and uh, um, it was a ritual. You watch Ed Sullivan. Well, you know, you, you would see all these variety of performers, you know, stand, people singing Broadway shows, standards, uh, opera even, uh, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so I got, and we had records in the house. There are all kinds of records and, uh, uh, and, and then uh, when rock and so, and we listened to radio all the time, radio was always on. And so um, 
I, I naturally fell into music. And then when rock and roll hit, you know, I, I immersed it. I was a big Elvis fan, uh, you know, and but and and then uh, I got hooked on WABC in New York and WIBG in Philadelphia. And and, and so I, my feet are in both worlds. You know, uh, I like mm-hmm. I like Broadway. I like standards. I, I, I've read books on all the famous composers. I mean, I mean, you know, Berlin, mm-hmm. uh, Kern, uh, Porter, uh, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein, Johnny Mercer. I've, I've got the biographies of all those people. And, and I, I, uh, I love that music. I'm a I'm a serious XM addict. I listen to Sirius XM. That's what I like. And of course, every anything that you want is available on, on Sirius XM. So I I, yeah. I, 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 I listen to the 50s, the 60s, the 40s, the Broadway, uh, you know, and, and the the the, uh, the Beatles Channel, uh, you know, and and that's what that's what I do. So that being in that time frame, I mean, the landscape. I mean, in that time frame in the 50s and 60s, I think the the landscape of well, maybe sports. A little bit later but the landscape of music and sports really just started i mean changing dramatically i mean with the advent of rock and roll and as tv got bigger uh you know sports just and music just kind of got it was a revolution with the advent of tv i mean was that do you look back and go man like that was that, that's just an amazing time to be to be alive. Yeah, well, of course. Let's just talk about Bandstand, okay? And now I I started watching a show called Bandstand, not American Bandstand, mm-hmm. Bandstand, right. which was a Philadelphia program which on Channel Six. It was at two thirty in the afternoon till, till five, and I could never understand. I would get home from school at about ten of three from grade school. Ten of three, I, I took and and turn on the TV, and there were these kids on Bandstand, and I couldn't understand how they got out of school so early. I still don't know how that happened. But but and that actually later became this is before Dick Clark. The original host guy name was Bob Horn. And he had some kind of scandal. I mean, you know, I don't know what it was, you know. But he had right. anyway. and and then uh, Dick Clark took over and then eventually the show became national on as American bandstand was on from four to five thirty Eastern. Uh, and after mm-hmm. the original show was two thirty to five. And I watched that show a lot. And uh, and and I uh, watched the Art Linklater's House Party, which was on the two thirty as well. And I watched variety variety shows. And when, when I wasn't going out to play, just now mostly this would be in the in the in the fall and the winter. You know when you went out, you know when the weather wasn't as good in Trenton, New Jersey as it is in the spring and the summer. And the summer, of course, you're out playing all day long. But but uh, uh, and and uh, so I watched a lot of a lot of those shows. So but oh yeah, Bandstand was formed. You know that was a must. You know you had to you had to watch yeah. Bandstand and every on all the great. And all the rock and roll performers of the time, you know, lusted to be on bandstand to, to get that opportunity, that exposure with with Dick Clark. So uh, I still have a bandstand yearbook from like circa from nineteen fifty seven. They called it, you know, I got <laughs> so yeah, now yeah, we have music, you know, very much so. Uh, t- and TV helped, and 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 uh, you know, yeah, no question. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, being of my ilk, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties and seeing the advent of streaming. I mean, there really is no more other than sports. There's really no must see TV, you know, uh, you can, you can watch anything anytime you want. Uh, I, I remember in the eighties and nineties having certain shows that you were sitting down as a family, you know, at a certain time on a certain day to watch, whatever show, you know, whether it was, I, I know that the Simpsons were big for a while, Roseanne, Married with Children, all these different TV shows. And uh, now it's just sports. I mean, you know, you, you want to sit down and watch it live. And, uh, um, and so tell me, you know, as far as you, it sounds like baseball, basketball are your, are your passions. Do you have a favorite team? 
Well, I grew up, yes. Uh, the, my favorite team growing up was the New York Giants. And, and I, that started, actually, I had a little bit of an affinity. Never liked the Yankees. That was always a given that you didn't like the Yankees. And, um, um, I did like the Dodgers a little bit. But then when, in 1954, when Willie Mays came back to the Giants after being in the Army, uh, I, I, I got hooked on that team. And, and uh, I, I became a Giant fan, and I was a passionate Giant fan, right up to some guy came along to hit a lot of home runs, but his head was very big. Remember him? And, and I do remember him, yeah. You're, you're and, talking to a San Francisco Giant fan, so I, and, I remember uh, all And I, I was repulsed by him, and I, especially mm-hmm. after having seen the, the scene in their locker room and, uh, and when he was like an emperor with, and, and all the everybody else was like the subjects to the emperor. Uh, uh, so I had no toleration for him and I stopped rooting for the Giants. And I said, I had a Giant's hat that I had purchased at Candlestick Park. And I said, I will not put mm. this hat on my head until he's gone. And, and uh, uh, I, uh. I, it kind of diminished my, my appetite for, for the Giants. But I was a Giants fan all throughout the 50s and 60s. Uh, and of course, 62, Willie, you know, Game Seven, Willie McCovey uh, line drive to Richardson, the whole thing. Uh, you know, later on. Uh, anyway, I was a Giants fan, um, and when it went, even when it went to San Francisco, I, I remained steadfast uh, a Giants fan. And then football, uh, the, actually, the, I did root for the New York, as we called them those days. You know, the New York Football Giants. That's what you called mm-hmm. them. Yeah. I rooted for them, and 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 uh, as much as, but I wasn't as passionate about football. And all, and I still aren't. I mean, I, football's business. It's, and I appreciate it. I've, I've lived with it my whole life. But I, I've said, I've written this to Josh that if they stop playing football in the next five minutes, it wouldn't bother me. I can live without mm-hmm. football. I don't need any more football. Mm-hmm. XFL, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? I don't need anything. I, I, it's just <laughs> enough football. Football is a, you know, if you put the rules down of football to an alien invader and say, this is a national game, most famous game, most popular game in this country, and you give them the rules and these gigantic people smashing into each other. Uh, with barley harm, it's very, very possible uh, for a territorial gain to get under that turf or little dirt area, grass area at the end of the field, you know, and they say, that's legal? I mean, football's a barbaric enterprise that we've codified, you know, okay, fine. You know, I, I don't want to go, yeah. I'll get off some box right now, but, yeah, but well. I can appreciate it. You know, I mean, I've lived it my whole life I, and then you got to cover it and, and and I've covered it and and I enjoy venues and all that, but you know, and we were blessed, we've been blessed with the Patriots and all that stuff, but I can live without football, but I could not live without baseball and basketball. I mean, like six mm. months each of those would be fine with me. Now I like yeah. other, things. what about, uh, what, what, who's, your, who's your, who's your basketball fan uh, team? Well, obviously, I, you know, I, I covered, growing up, I, I territorially, I would follow the 76ers or the mm. Warriors. You know, then, to be, then, of course, they moved to San Francisco and we and, and the 76ers after. You feel what I realized Philadelphia was out of the league for a whole year. They are mm. not a consecutive member of the National Basketball Association uh, because for 62, 63, in between the year after the Warriors moved to San Francisco and the Nats relocated to Philadelphia to become the 76ers, there was no team in Philadelphia. And people don't realize mm. that. Anyway, they became, then Syracuse Nats became what we know now as the 76ers. And, and when I was in college at Boston College, I definitely did not root for the Celtics. I definitely rooted for the 76ers. And I never once, I never rooted for the Celtics until the 69 playoffs. That's the first time I ever mm. found myself actually actively rooting. But at that point, I had already joined the Boston Globe as a summer intern in 68. And, you know, it naturally mm. had affiliations, you know, and then it was, and it was easy. Never dreaming that I was going to wind up covering them three different times for 13 and a half years and, you know, and being closely affiliated with them. And, and, and I'm proud of it, you know, but I didn't see yeah. that. And when I was in college, yeah. trust me, that wasn't a goal. That wasn't mm. a goal. Like I had one goal in college 
And if you asked me at age 20, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to write for Sports Illustrated. That, that was the mm. trail for me at the time mm. and many others. Mm. Wow. So uh, what, tell me, I mean, I'm, I've never, for whatever reason, I'm an attorney by trade. I, I've never wanted to be a, a, a writer or a journalist per se. What is it? Was it just because Sports Illustrated was so big or was there something else about specifically Sports Illustrated? Sports Illustrated was enormously important in those days. I know people find it hard to believe now that you waited a game would be played on Saturday or Sunday in football. And then you waited and then Thursday, the, the, the magazine came and you read what the, the writers had to say about that game from Saturday or Sunday and, and, and fleshed right. it out and, and all the stuff. And, you know, today when, with today's instantaneous ability to know everything and it's a totally different world. And Sports Illustrated is dying. It's dying. It's not going to last much longer, I don't think. And, and it's now down to, you know, it's not every week. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, but it was the currency. It was what you wanted to do. It's whether, and the writers were, were gods to us. Frank, Frank DeFord particularly was my idol. And, uh, mm. but all this, Dan Jenkins and, and all those guys, uh, they were, they were, uh, they were huge. They were important. That was, and to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated was the, was the dream of every athlete in America, you know, at that time going yeah. in the seventies, eighties yeah. and nineties, uh, you know, and, and yeah, Sports Illustrated. And uh, I, so that that's what I would have wanted to have done. I'm now in the retrospect, I'm glad it didn't happen. I've learned from knowing many people who worked there over the years that uh, many of them left unhappily. And 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 the thing about Sports Illustrated, one mm-hmm. thing about it is that it's a writer's. It's not a writer's magazine. It's an editor's magazine. At least it always has been. Sure. The difference difference is that uh, you know the editors have the final say, manually messing around with your copy, changing things, uh, rearranging things. Uh, I never had to worry about that at the Boston Globe. They never did that to me mm. once. Now it's 55 years and, and uh, 44 since I officially retired and, and 11 years now I'm into retirement. But uh, uh, I never had to worry about that. Uh, I, I, uh, so I'm glad I, I did interview with them briefly twice and um, I'm, I'm glad it didn't materialize. So I, my life turned, you know, turned out just fine. But, uh, but that's what I would want to have done when I was 20. Wow. So um now that right now, I mean, this is, this seems to happen quite a bit. The Sixers are playing the Celtics. So who do you, <laughs> who do you vote for? Who do you, who do you root oh, for? Well, no, obviously my affinity has been with Boston for, you know, that was just a covering, yeah. covering the team at 69, you know, and unlike a lot of people, you know, there's different kinds of person that temper, temperaments that people bring to the job. And, and um, my foundation as a sports writer is that I'm a fan first, first, last, mm-hmm. and always. I'm a fan of the sport. I'm a fan of of of, of sport, and and I and and I, I I see no problem in wanting to pull for a team that you cover, as long as you understand it. Once you sit down to write, you put on your journalist hat, and you and you write from an ob, from a. I hate the word. I hate the concept of objectivity. Everything is subjective. Every word you pick is sure. subjective. No, it's about fairness. Are you are you are you treating mm-hmm. the subject this a circumstance here? Fairly, are you are you trying to be, uh, you know, uh, give, give, just are you doing fair? Um, I have no problem. Now, a lot of people like to brag about the fact that I don't care who wins and loses ever. You know, I just want the story. You know, I just want the story, and I like to write about people. Well, let me tell you something. Writing about people is the layup drill of writing. If you can't write about, <laughs> if you if you don't have the sufficient compassion and, and empathy and, 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 and sensitivity and intelligence and background and experience and command of the language and, 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 and human feeling, uh, you don't belong in writing to start with, you know? And, and mm-hmm. if you can't write about people, uh, you, you, you know, that's the easy part. 
you, the, the hard part is, uh, you know, making uh, something uh, journalistically sound out of a, uh, a game eight, uh, 55 in February and when, when you know, and it's, a, and it's a mundane game. What do you do with that game? You know, and, and whatever mm-hmm. sport we're talking about. Uh, that's, that's the talent. That's the skill. Uh, writing about people. And here's the other thing that I always laugh about when I think about it. They, they talk about the people. The game comes first. Why? Because if it weren't for the game, who would care about these people? That's right. the context. We don't care about, you know, the, so you have to you love the game first. And, and I do. And, and, and you know, I, I'm proud of a lot of, I, of writing profiles. I've written a lot of good profiles, I think. And, and I think I can do that. But I don't, I'm, that's not the hard part. That's the easy part. Mm. Sure. So covering the Boston Celtics, I mean, you've done it for a long time uh, and there's a long history of really great players. I mean, who is your favorite to watch and cover? Well, that's a good question. And then there's two different uh, distinct answers. Uh, the, uh, clearly, the best player was Larry Bird, period. Mm. The best player mm-hmm. that I covered was Larry Bird. John Havlicek being 1A. I really, you know, the lessons you learn it and we never and we never do learn this lesson. Nobody ever which is you always assume that at the moment that you're not going to see anything as good as what you just saw. And somebody always comes along, you know, that, that, that changes mm-hmm. your, your outlook. When Havacek yeah. retired in 1978 and I was part of, you know, the coverage to, and, and, and John Powers, who was covering the team at that time. And I uh, did a joint farewell package uh, pullout session for the globe, you know, on the farewell to John Havacek. I was pretty firm in the belief. I'd never seen anything this good again, you know, for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. two years later. <laughs> who walks in okay right. oh okay now but my favorite person you know personality mm-hmm. package of player combination and 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 fascinating into you know subject is dave cowens dave cowens mm-hmm. is the greatest package for me of, of the greatest combination of hall of fame he's a hall of famer hall of fame mm-hmm. skill and electrifying style that was all his own and the most intellectually curious and fascinating person that i ever covered uh, a, a, a interesting, quirky, uh, incisive, you know, curious, just just fun to be to be around of Dave Cowens. And I still in touch with oh. Dave Cowens and, and I'm happy to. Oh. Yeah. Um, there's so many interesting Dave Cowens stories, you know, that sure. uh, uh, I'll just give you an example of the way his mind works. Uh, uh, and that in 1970, and this, this is also a story about how the world has changed. And you'll love this one. In 1974, Game seven between the Celtics and the Bucks for the National Basketball Association Championship was on a Sunday afternoon at the Milwaukee Arena. Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. Celtics play, they win the game. So after the game, uh, we fly back home via Chicago, changing planes in Chicago, mm-hmm. after Milwaukee to Chicago. Uh, you know, no, no direct flight available for us. Uh, we're flying commercial, of course. You know, nobody flew charter in those days. The Knicks once right. in a while, but nobody else did. Okay. Uh-huh. So I had not, in the course of all my post-game interviewing that day, I was the beat guy. I, I mm-hmm. For some reason, I didn't talk to Cowens, who was very instrumental, but I didn't, I didn't get much out of him, whatever it was. So I catch up to him at the airport as we're changing planes. And I said, Dave, well, you did it. You know, this is five years in for him now. You did it. And uh, four years, so, yeah, it was one, two, three, four, yeah, four years in. You did it. You won the championship. How's it feel? He says, and I quote, the fun for me is in the doing. This is just something for my portfolio of basketball experiences. Now, 49 years later, I have not had a better line delivered to me by an athlete <laughs> or subject, interview subject. You can't, you can't top that one. 
and the thing is, and I and I keep saying to myself, and I, and and this is yet another reason why, because uh, since I am in contact with him, I've never followed up. Okay, Dave, the, what what other things are in your portfolio now, forty nine years later, in your portfolio yeah. of basketball experiences, and is yeah. that one? But that's typical of Dave Cowens and and the other aspects that made him special. Yeah. So. Uh... Give me a good Larry Bird story. What's your What's your favorite Larry Bird story covering him? Uh, there's a few. Uh, uh, one, one of them is uh, uh, I love this one. Uh, we were in Chicago, and it was before the game, early, really early. And he was shooting around, and I said to him, "I'll bet you five bucks you can't make a left hand three pointer." So he walks immediately to the corner, naturally, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Second one, swish. So I hand him the five dollar bill which he takes and he puts it in his sock. <laughs> and I want to believe to this day, he played that entire game with that $5 bill in his sock, because that's the way Larry Bird was. Uh, you know, he, he was very careful with his money. And uh, anyway, that, <laughs> that's, that's one, um, you know, the, 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 I don't really have, people think you may have a whole lot of, you know, the, that's one, that's one of that's my, one of my favorites, but um and another one, you know, I just, I don't want to de- denigrate the gentleman involved, but the fact is that uh, uh, one night we were in Hartford where they played three or four times a year in those days. And uh, toward a game and they were playing Cleveland when they weren't very good at the time. And he said, mm-hmm. who's going to guard me, do you think? I said, I think Ben McDonald. He went, mm-hmm. and when I got 29 in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> I love, you know, those guys. Larry Bird, uh, Michael Jordan, those guys, you know, I, I've heard a story often where uh, I can't remember the name of the guy. Michael Jordan was talking to Byron Scott. Byron Scott was injured and he, he walks up, you know, they're playing the Lakers and he goes, uh, hey, you know, who you're injured. Who's guarding me? And he names some guy and he just goes, ha, 50. And he went out and got 50 <laughs> that night. You know, it's just. Those uh, and I've I've heard all sorts of stories about Larry Bird and the trash talk. He's yeah, he, you know, I think the trash talk was somewhat overrated, but he did do some stuff. It's, it's true that he ran by, he was torching the uh, uh, Jazz, and, and mm-hmm. who were they had a long run or they were terrible. And he torched the Jazz, and he runs by Frank Layton and said, "Don't you have anybody you can guard me?" You know, it's, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, and he 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 would he would do stuff like that. But uh, yeah, he and of course with, he and Magic, you know, they they had this tremendous competition and and yeah. he used to if magic would be it'd be and getting him because he wouldn't guard larry in general because he was a guard guarding a guard but there'd be switches sure. and if larry sure. if find himself guarded by magic he'd, he'd, he'd yell hey i got a little one <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man that had to have been a really cool time i mean so you i mean it sounds like you've followed them throughout that celtics lakers rivalry Oh boy, the '80s. It was great. Uh, yeah, it it was it was great. Of course, the fact that those two came along concurrently, it was so great for the league. Obviously, we all yeah. it, everybody understands that, and and uh, absolutely, it was great. And their and their bond as time went on, uh, you know, it was it was and is very real. They're very they're very friendly. Uh, but oh yeah, the 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 the, the, the one-upsmanship, the yeah, oh, that, that, that and the whole package. You know, the the. Pat Riley as a coach, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, the stuff that he did he, in 1982 after after uh, when they, they beat the Lakers, I mean, they beat the 76ers. Uh, Riley sent thank you notes to members of the many members of the press for the coverage for, for, the, for the relationships during that. I mean, can you imagine that, you know, that, yeah. that, you know I mean, it was it's just, the league in the league in those days, Josh, 
going back in the 70s when I started was was a giant fraternity. It's a giant mm-hmm. fraternity, and and we were all part of it. And and you know you were you were acknowledged that you were part of it. I'll give you a story. One night in the seventies, I don't know what year it was. We were uh, we were flying we the whole package, the whole entourage, east to west to go to L.A. Start a, uh, to go to uh, uh, start a, a road trip, and once again changing planes in Chicago, and mm-hmm. O'Hare, and we're walking down the corridor, and here come these very large people coming the other way. And these very large people were the Phoenix Suns who were going from west to east to start a trip. Uh, and we were both uh-huh. kids changing planes, killing time. And all of a sudden, everybody's at the bar, the whole teams mm. and, 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 mm. the, and the, the coaches and the trainers and the broadcasters. And it was like a giant fraternity meeting. And then we mm. all went our separate ways. But I'll never forget that night. And that was the NBA at the time. Wow. That's, that's really awesome. I mean, it, it had to have been cool to just be a part of that. Oh, it was, if you, and I say this, and you ask anybody who was privileged enough to, you know, to have been through it uh, and have a, a career in covering the NBA, what was the best time? I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you the 80s. The 80s were when it all came together because the basketball, first of all, for those of us in, in, in uh, non-Sunbelt uh, locales, the Lakers were in the finals eight times. So that meant mm-hmm. eight times we're going to get the free trips to California in the, in, in the spring. That was, <laughs> I'm serious. Don't think I wasn't an yeah. inducement. And, um, yeah. you know, they, they were there. There was always Lakers. You always count the Lakers being there. And, and um, you know, I mean, I, so, well, that's number one. But the, the, the uh, right, the relationships, the camaraderie uh, that, that was there, the respect uh, that they had still for the media, uh, you know, and, and uh, it, it was, it, it was great. But the, on the games, you know, now, you know, there were, just think about what we're talking about, the, the birds and the magics. And then, of course, the tail end of the decade, the, the, the bad boys, you know, and, and, and you, know, oh, yeah. team, you know, they, they, they asserted themselves circa 87 when, when, you know, when Larry made the steal on, on Isaiah, they, they very easily could have won that series, but they didn't. And then, of course, 88, they go to the finals, 89, they win, 90, they win. You know, that was their era. And the 76ers, Dr. J, Daryl Dawkins, Bobby Jones, Andrew Tony, Maurice Cheeks, that, and Billy Cunningham, who was a, one of my all-time favorite people ever in the league is just a wonderful man uh billy cunningham was fun there was just so many aspects to it that were fun even the referees were fun earl strong yeah you know was a character and we were all part of something you know and and uh, and then the, the media we um we routinely we played we you know we everywhere we went we played we we'd, we'd go we'd get a gym and we played and we had you know we had all this stuff going on so the media was a big you know one for all thing. I'm, the whole thing. I, if I, I always say this, John, if I could turn the clock back to January 1st, 1980 until January 31st, 1989, and we lived the entire thing professionally, professionally, the entire thing, I'd do it good, bad, and I'd do it in a second. It was wow. It's it was cool being. I mean, I was a kid at the time, and I think I told you I told you off air. My dad was a hardcore Boston Celtics fan, still is. So, and I'm a I'm a King season ticket holder. I've born and raised in Sacramento, so I'm I'm traumatized by Kings fandom. Uh, but you know, every time I I was blessed to be able to say that I saw Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Uh, Michael Jordan come through Arco Arena and play. I saw uh, Larry Bird's last game in Arco Arena, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's very rare. I was I was telling my son this when we were actually watching Tom Brady play, and of course everybody for some reason hates Tom Brady, you know, which doesn't make any sense. And uh, and when you oh, see yeah, somebody like this, was that, it I makes sense? I can understand. 
And he's getting crazy. There's times going on too. Sure. But, but what I told him was, is I, I remember telling him it's very rare when you're watching the greatest to ever do it and you know it, you know, and, and like, that's how I felt in those years when you're watching Michael, when you're watching Larry Bird and Magic Johnson go at it and then watching Michael Jordan, it's very rare, especially in basketball. It's very rare. And I think you kind of get that with Steph Curry and LeBron James now, but it's like, I mean, I just got through the, the traumatizing experience of a game seven 50 pointer by Steph Curry. I was in the crowd watching it and you could, it's, it's very rare when someone gets the ball and you're so excited that they missed, you know, because they just don't uh, <laughs> when it comes to big shots. And that's the way Michael Jordan was. You were just surprised that he didn't hit the game winner or uh, same with Larry Bird on that one. I can't remember what year it was when I think it was game five uh, uh, or maybe game six where they had the opportunity to win and he misses the three pointer at the end. And you're shocked because it looked like it was going in and you missed it. Well, that was, you well, know? Yeah, that, that, that was, uh, uh, well, yeah, in, in 87. Uh, well, you had there at Arco Arena tonight, he missed the two free throws, though, that, that didn't win, that cost him the game, the first game <laughs> after the All-Star break. No, was, I didn't I didn't catch that one. Yeah, Larry, uh, Larry astonishingly missed two free throws in Arco one night, and, and uh, it was the first game after an All-Star break. I know I know that, and uh, I wasn't there. But it was, I wasn't off the beat in those that year, but I know he did that. I know exactly what you mean, and, we, and, we're, looking at, and we're looking at more greatness right now that, that is historic. Uh, I'm telling you, with guys like Giannis and Jokic and Embiid, I mean, what Embiid is doing to the Celtics uh, is is oh. it's uh, it, he he is historically unique at seven feet. Yeah, really is. And, and, and again, and his own way, they're all specifically unique in their own seven foot way. Giannis, we've never seen anything like oh. Giannis. We've never seen anything like Jokic. We've never seen anything like Embiid. They're all seven feet. They all play a game that would have been unrecognizable to all of us 30 years ago. And they all, but they're all distinct. They're, they're not the same. Yeah. They're all, you know, it's speaking of Jokic and, and this is something I don't understand. And, and I'm wondering what you think, you know, so he was on, on pace. There was talk that he was going to win his third MVP in a row. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing uh, there was a podcast. I think it was DeMarcus cousins and Kevin Garnett talking about him winning. And, and cousins was like, if he does that, he's one of the greatest centers of all time. Are we ready to say that? Blah, 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 blah. And I was just thinking to myself, I go, well, wait a minute. Why, why would we not be willing to say that if he's averaging a triple-double, which nobody's done other than I think Oscar Robinson and maybe Russell Westbrook. Right, that's all. Uh, yeah, and he's averaging a triple-double as a center. <laughs> I mean, what is, it, what is it exactly that you're not ready to say he's one of the greatest to ever do it? Is it because he just doesn't look like a – basketball player because that's the thing you look at him right and he's kind of heavier he's kind of slow he looks a little oafy but he he kills you (laughs) no you're so right and of course and the idea that you can't rank him like up there is wrong but i i I don't know i I certainly disagree with that and of course he belongs these guys it's interesting because i just got through writing a column and i was talking about my last thought based on curry and Mm -hmm. and right after the 50 point game and people were then yeah. a lot of tweet the tweet or Twitter world was going off. Where is he ranking the all time, you know, top 10 and, and, and all that. And, and, and it's a good question because he's there. And, and I expanded it to 15. It's so hell hard. It's ridiculous. And, and without mentioning, you know, uh, including the guys whose careers are not yet done. Now his, he's, you know, 14 years in the league, but obviously Giannis is 
we've got a long way to go. Jokic has a long oh, yeah. way to go. And, and, and beat has a long way to go. So, you know, now in the end, they're going to be involved in these discussions right now. I'm leaving them out of it just for the sake of, and in, in the list that I had, I think that the briefest career was 13 years, you know, so sure. I mean, you know, these are that that's understood. They were going to have to revamp this discussion. You always are going to have to revamp these discussions in all sports, right? There's no sure. question. Of course, that's the idea. Fine. But of course, they're going to be into, he belongs in that discussion. And then we, we haven't seen anything like this, a center who is routinely now. We have, in a sense, I shouldn't say that, very different body. We did Will Chamberlain for two years in 1967 mm-hmm. and 67, 68, uh, averaged, you know, 24, 24, 8. Mm-hmm. Okay. People don't remember that, you know, that he did. It's Allison, what I call his middle phase, his, his all around phase. And, and, mm-hmm. and he, he led the league in assists, which, which mm-hmm. was a goal. And, and maybe overdid it. You know, people talk about it. He, he, he had selfish assist. You know, he should have, been, should have shot the ball, but he wanted to pass it back out. Anyway, we did, we did have this. So let's not forget that. When we're talk, having this discussion, that we have seen something like this before, but not, not with the artistry that Jokic has as a passer. I have to tell you something about, when, I guess after his rookie year, I was contacted by a Denver writer and uh, about how Jokic is passing, you know, and mm-hmm. in context of Bill Walton, who... You know, I, I, I still think it's the greatest passing center of all time. And I had not seen Jokic. I don't think I ever saw him play that year. You know? And I, so I wasn't aware of what we were talking about here. And of course, I summarily dismissed the idea that you could, you'd have, that somebody could be compared remotely to Bill Walton as a passer. Well, now right. that I've had sufficient exposure to, uh, to Jokic, uh, you know, I have to say, if, if he ain't, one, he's one A. If he ain't two, he's, he's he's he is the answer. That he is the closest thing of, that they give Bill Walton the challenge as the best passing center of all time. I mean, his court vision is just phenomenal. And you're right; it's just so much fun to watch him. He goes wherever he wants to go in his plotting way, and they can't stop him. <laughs> right, right. And he and when he's running up and down the court, he he's open mouth breathing like he's so tired, but he just never stops. Like that's the thing that's so crazy. I know it's not, yeah. it doesn't appear to be a supremely conditioned athlete. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <know>? And yeah, <laughs> him, and, him, him and uh, him and Luka Doncic both. Oh. Like, I, I don't think other than Larry Bird, I've ever seen a slower player in my life, but he, he can blow by anybody. Wherever he wants to go, it goes where he yeah. gets where he's going. Right. In his own plotting way. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and, and, you know, Larry figured out how to do it this way, you know, and, and uh, right. But, but I, I haven't talked to Larry about it, but I know, uh, does he see, you like to think he sees some Doncic in him, you know. I, I see some yeah. Doncic, and, and that's yeah, like, I do too. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you compare players. So, I, you know, obviously, I'm a Kings fan, so I'm, I, I want to talk about them a little bit. But Darren Fox, this last year, uh, do you think he compares a little bit to an Isaiah Thomas? I think he's making his name. I'm sure. I I have to say, I need to see more of him to get a stylistic view. I know what the I yeah. know what he's accomplishing. And I know how important yeah. he was to that team this year. And I know he's getting this. He got some postseason recognition now, right? Yeah, he did. And in fact, you know, the thing that's funny, I've been watching him. I actually watched him in college. Uh, I was really excited when that year, the two guards that were coming out were Lonzo Ball and De'Aaron Fox. And mm-hmm. the Lakers took Lonzo second and we got Fox. And my opinion was at that time, I said, we got the better guard. Mm-hmm. Because they played each other and caught it at the in the in the tournament, and he dropped forty on Lonzo. I mean, mm-hmm. and so I go, you know, I go, I think we got the better guy. He's so fast. He's the fastest player I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and, then, 
Yeah, he's fast. And, and I'll tell you who's fast. Maxi's fast. I'd like to see that race. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, but but yeah. Yeah, no, no, he's absolutely is on, you know, and I thought maybe you're going to mention uh not and interesting that he got a recognition and John Morant was denied he didn't make any of the three teams. And yeah, uh, and that's that's surprising. Well, we got a lot of competition, but still people are now kicking around the idea that people not vote for him because of the off the court stuff. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not a voter. I haven't been a voter for uh, for a few, you know, several years now. I I actually did vote a few years for a few years after I retired. They gave me the privilege. I knew I was still following the league, but mm-hmm. I no longer vote in the NBA. But uh, mm-hmm. um, anyway, that's another story for another day. No, Fox, you're right. He's he's on his way to. He's 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 you know it's it's a Hall of Fame trajectory. I'll just put it that way. No question. Yeah, and that's the thing that you know it's funny because we here in Sacramento, it's just. It's been such a wasteland for so long that nobody's really paying attention. And then, boom, this year. I mean, we, we I kind of saw, like I told you, I'm a season ticket holder. I went through three, four years of just unbearable basketball. And oh. when Sabonis got here, it was clear that things had been changing, you know? Well, you know, you, and my guy, go, I, I, I found my first time I saw him at Gonzaga, I, I fell in love with him as a player. Mm-hmm. And because I was predisposed yeah. because I was a big fan of daddy. And and mm-hmm. uh, I will preach the gospel of Arvidas Sabonis to anybody uh, at any time about what he was and what he could have been as on top of that. But what he uh, but I love Sabonis. You're right, and that uh, and he's he he made third team. I'm glad to see. Yeah, yeah, and and that first game, it was actually you could feel a difference. In the game because it was it was controversial trade when they when they sent Tyrese Halliburton to Indiana. Oh, yeah. everybody I, loved him. Sure. Yeah. Every, everybody loved them. There was a question. I legitimately thought, I, I legitimately thought we made the wrong trade. I said, you should get Fox out there. Halberton's a complete guy and he is different player, but, but when Sabonis got here and you saw the way he played, I remember being excited saying, this seems like a legitimate change, right? Like for the mm-hmm. better. And, and then the off, off the uh, off season stuff they did last year, uh, getting Herder and Monk and, and, you know, and, and doing those things to kind of get, get some, get some three points out there, three, consistent three point shooters other than, you know, Buddy Heald was, God, he was so, he was good, but he was so streaky and he just made some of the dumbest decisions. <laughs> so, so getting those guys in there, it just, it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting to see that the Kings look like, there is a possibility that they're going to get that magic that they had in 2002 to 2006. You know, I, I, I have, I had adopted them. I was, and I have nothing, I, I have nothing against golden state, but I was definitely mm-hmm. actively rooting, you know, for the, for the Kings. As I said, I did write this column and uh, I was intrigued by, I've always been intrigued. I actually wrote this column a couple of years ago in basketball times. I, I recycled myself, frankly, but it is <laughs> a unique history in the league and in the, in the franchise, you know, that, that they came from Rochester and they won a championship, uh, a very exciting seventh game, by the way, in 1971 and 51. <laughs> and uh, then they went to Cincinnati and on to Kansas City. And, and I lived through that with Kansas City, Omaha, and then Kansas City exclusively, and then find the Sacramento. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a tortured history, uh, you know, uh, uh, and uh, the Sacramento thing of, you know, having that door opened in the early 2000s. And it was, we all know the infamous seventh game against the Lakers. And uh, oh, gosh, I know, I, I'm aware of it. And, and yeah. uh, and the drought since 2006, you know, uh, of, of the, yeah. the 
and I, I think that it didn't somebody do a story in one of the primary magazines, whether it was Esquire or Vanity Fair or something. Somewhere along the way, there was even a story written about them in, in a in a non sports magazine about them being the out the the, the forgotten outpost of the NBA. <laughs> I think yeah, so. well, and I and, and I can tell you just being here in Sacramento. I mean, first of all, you can't, I, I don't know. I mean, I've never lived anywhere else for any serious time. I spent two years in Indiana serving a mission for my church, and I know they're really hardcore about the Pacers. But there's never been a team, like I don't know if there's been a losing team, like generally losing team that has a more passionate fan base than the Kings. I mean, people, people, they hate it, but they love it. They can't, it's the only thing we have. And so, uh, so yeah, but there was years there. I mean, after the Maloofs, everybody loved them. I mean, like w- when they, when they came in, everybody loved them until they started doing all that wonky stuff with the stadium or with the arena. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and then when Vivek came in, we kind of looked at him as a savior, but then he kind of, you know, made some really dumb moves firing Mike Malone when he was, you know, he finally yeah. seemed like they turned it around and then bringing in like coach after coach after coach. And they were big names, you know, George Carl, Paul Westfall, like all these guys who you looked at and you said, well, yeah, they've been winners, but then giving them a year and then bailing and then bringing in Luke Walton. And you're like, Oh, maybe, you know, so, so, and if you've, I mean, I played basketball, you know, at a high level in high school, I didn't, I didn't go farther than that, but, but, you know, you, you do know that there has to be some continuity to build something and there just wasn't. Yeah, no, it is. Um, and so. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad finally that there's a, there's a, a good future that with the youth that, you know, that I, the youth factor of this team, you know, the age factor. Yeah. Is encouraging. So I hope it can yeah. be, I hope next year, you know, things really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. It was funny. My son, so my son is 16 years old, so he's never seen the Kings in his <laughs> lifetime no, make the playoffs. Not. And, and it was so funny because we went, we went to game seven together and it was his first time experiencing every year of his existence. The last game of the regular season comes at the end of the season. So he's ready for it. But this is the first time oh. where it's game seven. Ah. You have hope. Yeah. Game over. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's a it's a different experience because I just funny. was kind of like, well, now what do we do? I mean, he was really depressed, and I was like, that's yeah, but I, I like it. It's good. Yeah, but I told but I told him I said, hey, listen, if we had told you if I had told you at the beginning of the season that they were going to make the playoffs, not the play in, but the playoffs, and that they were going to take the defending champion Warriors to seven games and lose, you would have thought that was a great. Year, sure. Right. Sure. So it's all about perspective, but oh yeah. So so you also you, you also uh you you also followed baseball. Yes. Who was your favorite baseball player to cover? To cover, didn't really have one that emerged uh, as a player to cover. Uh, guys along the way, uh, it, Kevin Millar uh, it was a was a fun character to be around, and 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 those Red Sox. Uh, teams on the 0304 etc and he was the heartbeat uh, you know really uh, of the of, uh, of the team not the best player by far but he 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 drove the team in a sense um it was him uh you know uh, uh i i would like yes was yakari stromsky was reticent you know he, he i got the normal uh, you know he he, he didn't took a while to get crack it mo vaughn there we go mo vaughn mm. was 
we like for I loved Bob Wine. He was good. Mm. Uh, he was he was incisive and he was he was he was just everything. Uh, so I would have to say John Ballantin was a, was a nice was a guy I liked a lot uh, in those days. Um, so I, I and more it came down more to managers, you know, that I, that I do like. Of course, Terry Francona was an easy pleasure to deal with. Joe Morgan was a riot for us. He was wonderful. Lo, you know, local guy with local references, you know, that that's always, that's always a way to charm the media when you can speak their language, when, when you grew up here and, and went to Boston college and, and, you know, mm-hmm. and played basketball and hockey and, and, and could relate to all the things that you could relate to that that's always fun in any city when the manager is actually purely completely mm-hmm. local. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. When, when you, so, so tell me as a, as a sports writer, um, how does your relationship with the player have an effect on your writing? Like, for example, if you like a player and they have a bad game, do you find it harder to kind of criticize the bad game if you like the guy? You have to, you have to be able to do this right and, or else you don't belong in a, in a job. Mm-hmm. You, you know, uh, ultimately, for the way you can't control how they're going to react, you have to you mm-hmm. know, present yourself as being, once again, the word is fair. Uh, fair-minded guys, you have to hope you're dealing with a reasonably fair-minded people. And, and, and yeah. I, I've had people actually say to me, I, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't mind that, you know, you're doing your job, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you don't get that too often, but I've had it great. It's always nice mm-hmm. when you hear that. Yaz was one of those guys. He would say that. And that was good to know. Uh, Rick Broson said that to me once. I, that was good to know. Um, but uh, you know, you have to, and yet, and the other thing is you got, when you write something negative, you got to show up. You know, that, yeah, next, uh, that's that's rule. That's a cardinal rule. You, you got to mm-hmm. show up. And you got to be ready to, to to have them go after you if they, if they want to. And um, mm-hmm. and and you know, it's part of the deal. You have to have that some thick skin kind of thing. You know, uh, and and be and now my great birth, my great fortune in covering the Celtics for thirteen and a half years, uh, three different times, a seven, a four, and a two and a half, was I had one bad team. Mm. And, Mm-hmm. And one bad team in, in my direct beat coverage. Now, as a columnist, I had several teams, but not as a beat map. And, um, and that, so generally speaking, it was a positive, it was easy. You know, I got off easy because I was right. writing positive stuff. You know, and believe me, you know, I, I, I never, I, except that one year, uh, which was 78, 79, the year before uh, Bird came, the year that they had drafted mm-hmm. him and were waiting while he was taking Indiana State to the final game. You know, uh, and and had a year. They had a year, calendar year, to sign him after they drafted mm-hmm. him, and they did mm-hmm. finally succeed in doing so. But that year was a tumultuous year for the Celtics, and 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 there were, there were you know, it, it wasn't a pleasant year, and uh, mm. you know, that was the one challenging year in that regard. But luckily, I got up easy because I had teams. You know, I, I covered a team that won five championships. Teams, I covered five championship teams directly. I covered uh, well, no, it's a Oh, that's including the columnist. It's four directly and one as a columnist. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, uh, a team that won 68 games that got, you know, in 60, 72, 73, you, you know, you can imagine what a joy ride that was. And, uh, you know, I had, mm-hmm. I had just good, you know, even my first team that I covered, which was the year after Bill Russell retired and they only won 38 games. They were, it, it, it wasn't a negative. Everybody knew it was going to be a different year. And they still were good enough to beat the championship Nixon season series. So, you know, it wasn't yeah. like it was relentlessly awful. There were some highlights there too. So I was sure. very lucky. And that, that made life a lot easier when you're covering good teams, it's just a lot easier. 
You know, bringing up uh, the, the trajectory of the NBA, I remember in the 90s, really, the only player that kind of, you know, quote unquote, chased championships was Charles Barkley for a while. But before that or after that, it does seem like that kind of early 2000s, mid, well, mid 2000s Celtics team was kind of the first super team. How, how do you feel about super teams now and, and the way the players kind of move around? I, this, it's an it's it's their legal right. There's nothing we can do about it. You have better adjust. You have to accommodate yourself to it. This is the way yeah. have that act. You know they have a mobility that was unavailable to the to the older generation, and and that's why you know if they want to sit around, if the older guys want to sit around and say, well, we never did anything like that. You couldn't do anything like that. That we we know sure. that. Now there were two guys who did force themselves out of situations. Two, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, they are two of the three or four of. 10 greatest players of all time. Will Chamberlain, who, who twice got himself traded and once from, uh, from uh, the Warriors back to Philadelphia to the 76ers and secondly to the Lakers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, 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 and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who got himself traded out of Milwaukee to Los Angeles. Okay. And uh, they, that, they were the forerunners. Nobody else ever could or, or had that, that kind of, if they had whatever leverage they exerted, they had it. No one else even tried to exercise it at, at, any, at that level at all. So they they did it back in the in the in the world did it in the sixties and 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 Kareem did it in the seventies. But until the creation of the super team that Le, LeBron and Wade and you know created with Bosch and all that, you know they have the the contractual mobility to do this. It's not going to end. Yeah, it's not going to yeah. end. Yeah, this is the this is the the way the game is 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 now being orchestrated. And we have to live with it. I, I have, you know, I'm, I'm accommodated to it. It's the way it is. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the thing that I think is interesting, though, now, you know, the, the, in the in the mid 2000s, the argument that I was hearing, of course, I'm in Sacramento, small market, is that this is going to affect small market teams because mm-hmm. you know, like LeBron left for Miami because he felt like he couldn't really do that in Cleveland. He couldn't get people to come to Cleveland. And but now, you know, you have Giannis in Milwaukee and he won a championship and he's getting lots of coverage. It's not like, you know, it's not like it was before. I mean, he, that's a small market, but he's very marketable. So, you know, it, I think it's more of being able to show a culture that you can win to, to attract these players now more than small market, big market. Kind uh, of thing. So there's still a question. You know, no one's positive that he's going to be a lifer in Milwaukee, by the way. Mm-hmm. And right. um, so. Uh, it's up to the personality, you know, the women, the person you're at the women, these people at that level. Yeah. You know? yeah. So one guy, people are looking, wondering what's going to happen now is Damian Lillard. Is he going to stick? Is he going to stick it out? In yeah. That's that. Yeah. He's the, right. Uh, Valley Beal was, was a name that a year ago, a year and a half ago, it was, was being tossed around in that regard. Um, yeah. You know, not that I think they're exactly the same player. Lillard is a better player, but but anyway, oh, yeah. Lillard's name is out there. Um, Giannis, we'll see what happens when Gian. I don't know exactly what the is it at the end of next year. Maybe maybe he's possibly. yeah yeah. Well, it seems like ever since they they lost to the Heat, you know, they're, they're Milwaukee is in kind of like a damage control mode. They've already fired their coach, and they're you know yeah, they're doing right. all these things. You're right, right, but you know that. That's another thing. This year is so strange. I was just thinking, I was like, this, it is absolutely possible that this year we could see a seven seed Lakers playing an eight seed heat in the finals. I can't remember another time that's ever happened. Of course you haven't because it happened. Of course now the Lakers were not at, they were an atypical seven seed. Now, yeah. Because of the circumstances, yeah. the injuries, 
the beginning of the year, you know, the, the, the unavailability of, of you know, the, the number of games that LeBron misses, the number of games that Davis misses, and then, you know, the fact that they were highly, woefully incomplete and give Rob Palenka or, or surrogate general manager James, whoever credit for what they were able to do with the trading deadline to get them the shooters yeah. that they needed, you know, to yeah. get them the offense that they needed. Uh, and, 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 uh, and also the development out of nowhere of Austin Reeves. I mean, who, who saw that coming? Yeah. Wow. But anyway, I remember um, the, I remember the first time I saw Austin Reeves, in Sacramento and I looked at him with the rest of the players and that was the year that I mean it was just like Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer on the on the Kings or I mean on the Lakers and I'm just sitting there and I'm like who here looks like he doesn't belong <laughs> you know sure. and now he's amazing you know yeah. uh, and now with the Warriors you know we all know that there was extenuating circumstances why they weren't but yeah. and no one to this moment and if, let's say they do get to the final you know the idea that they did go with this god-awful road record this year is is just that is so atypical and there's no what, what explanation there is for that I, I don't know i don't think anyone ever could come up with one but now it's right. over it's forgotten it doesn't matter you know they've they've won the requisite road games that they had to win already and 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 uh, yeah. now i was uh, there yeah so <laughs> it was painful <laughs> but, but the lakers uh once again though davis he it's it's just uncanny uh, last night he takes an elbow in the head and now we're wondering about you know what, how, how serious that was it's always something right. he just it's yeah. always something but we He's, see it's real it's it's oh, really weird know. you know and and we're sitting here i mean look every player is different and obviously an elbow to the head can affect different people different ways but we're you know we're already here and here well demana sabonis got busted right in the eye big old but and he kept playing he was playing all year with a with a a, a, a thumb that needed surgery you know Fox fractured his finger, kept playing. Yeah. And it seems like Davis, you know, bumps his leg and he's out for two, three games. I mean, it's just a really different, uh, everybody's different, you know, but it's just, it's you, you sometimes when it keeps happening, him and Zion and different people, you question their, uh, their mental capacity a little bit when that, when something like that happens. Zion, that's a whole other interesting story. I, yeah. I, many people, I wondered if that body could possibly hold up in the NBA and, and yeah. so far the answer is no. And, and uh, yeah, yet how that's affected his psyche to know how good I can be. We've seen how good he can be, but but yeah. it's so infrequent. And, and you know, uh, how that wears on him personally, you know, I don't think he's a bad person at all, I think. But I think he's no. probably frustrated that, that, he, that he can't perform, uh, you know, and yet what's he going to do? He, he is what he is. He's, he's got that extraordinary un, unbasketball like body in, in the NBA. Yeah. And can fly. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Even right. even though he's that big, yeah. I saw that with Demarcus Cousins. You know, the game the way it is now, these guys who are big. That's what makes Joel Embiid so surprising. Is he's got that big traditional center body and can move that fast. Demarcus Cousins tried, and that I think that really contributed to the injuries was that he just, you know, when you're running that fast with that big of a body, it's just not built to do that. You know, and um, but but uh, this is a different this is a different year. I was, I was talking about, you know, when, when the Kings were the third seed, I just said, yeah, are they really though? Because, you know, yeah, the record shows that, but yeah, the, the West, I mean, it just seemed like all the teams, the Clippers, right. the Lakers, the Warriors injuries everywhere. I'll repeat something I said before the, you know, at the onset of the playoffs, nobody outside of Denver believes in Denver. Nobody outside of yeah. Memphis, number two seed believes in Memphis. Nobody outside of Sacramento, the third seed believes in Sacramento. And, and it's basically, you know, it's hyperbole, but it's basically true, more true than it's not true. People didn't respect the teams the way you think they would 
based on their on their record and all of that. And then lurking in the bottom of the of the you know draw, you got this Lakers weird you know situation, and you got the Warriors a typical situation. So the West was completely unfathomable to to start with. You know now yeah. as we sit here at, uh, you know on the uh, as we've seen it unfold a little bit, time start taking Denver seriously, folks. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, and the oh, Suns yeah. would have. Oh, I forgot the best one. The Suns would have prohibitive favorite at four. Yeah. At the time, based yeah. on the fact that at that time they were seven and zero or so with the, with Booker and and Durant in the lineup, and they hadn't yet to lose at home at least, you know. And uh, right. the Suns, I know I picked them, and yeah. I don't think I was alone. All right, I got to pick one in the West. Oh, uh, give me the Suns, you know, because I. Yeah. Least, well, right now I'm. I'm uh, Denver looks pretty good, and they're playing pretty they, well. They look- you know, that's the thing. That's the thing that people don't remember. I mean, we've we've been following the West for a long time. They have been the number one seed all year long by a long shot. It's it's not it, you know, it's it's not even close. It, it, they they were I think they were five or six games ab- ahead of Memphis at the end. I mean, and everyone else was two or three games. I mean, you could yeah. you could drop from two to eight by losing three right, games put in a, a row. Put a handkerchief over everybody else. And, and- yeah. But now they're showing, you know, I mean, it's not over and they could still lose to the Suns, but I, I, I doubt it. And I, I uh, like the way they're playing and, and uh, like the way he's playing and like the way Murray's playing and, and uh, you know, and so on and so forth. No way. Um, so anyway, the West, that, that, that's that. I wanted to shift gears also because, you know, talking, you, you have a long history of, of covering sports and you mentioned Barry Bonds and you, and you were not a fan of his. And I want to get your take as a sports writer on the steroid era and, and what you think about that. Do you think that is truly a black stain or just it's, Hey, that's the way it is. And you know, there's people who, sh- who otherwise would be hall of famers that are not in the hall of fame. What are your, your thought on that? Uh, it's, it's, it's the most disturbing. It's just so annoying that, that you have to deal with this, uh, you know, particularly when you're voting in the hall of fame, which I was, I still do I'm still voter. At the hall mm-hmm. of fame. And uh uh, it, it, it used to, I like it, you know, what it should be is strictly a baseball argument, strictly evaluating people on the baseball terms. But this has clouded the issue and, 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 and continues to do so because we've still got Rodriguez on the ballot, you know, a ride. And, and so on we go. Um, my recommendation, which is totally sincere, I even put it in writing and I actually got a very nice response uh, from, from uh, uh, you know, from people in question. I think they should acknowledge that it happened, and and here's the way to deal with it. Uh, have you ever been to the hall? Have you ever? I've been never there? been. Okay. Well, no. you know, the the there's a the hall. It's the hall where all the plaques are. This it's a giant room, you know, with with all the plaques. Okay. And and this is the this is what the hall of fame. I think a hall of fame is where it is. Okay. It's far more than that, of course. It's a museum with all kinds mm-hmm. of artifacts. Okay. But it's the hall. There should be a disclaimer. Large poster written outside, saying to the effect that many of that there was a time in baseball history where and where baseball was was in you know dealt with an infestation of performance enhancing drugs. Many of the people that you will see in here performed during that year. Uh, We have instructed our voters to vote strictly on the merits of baseball. You're free to feel however you want to feel. You know, I was a kid. You want, you want to give a plaque a finger. You know, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you know, but we have instructed our voters to vote strictly on baseball merits and 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 ignore mm-hmm. and not to consider the the, the PED factor. All right. 
I would then happily vote for all the people in question. I'd vote for Marx, mm-hmm. I'd vote for Clements, I'd vote for Sosa, I'd vote for, you know, I'd vote for him. But I, I, I never voted for any of them, okay? I, they, mm-hmm. it, I, I was my decision and, and I respect those who many, you know, people, all the, very, all the counter arguments I've heard from people I respect and, and we're all entitled to our opinion on this, but we shouldn't have to be enforced. It's the Hall of Fame, it's their Hall of Fame. They should have taken responsibility for it and not made the, put the responsibility on us and allowed us. Right. They, they should have, and, and I still I insist that that's the best solution to this whole thing. And then when you say when you say that though, when you say let's uh, let's look and see, uh, or let's let's put that kind of you know for lack of a better term like an asterisk there, are you and you're not going to take into account the PEDs? Would you be voting on people who you were saying okay if they didn't take PEDs they'd still be Hall of Famers, or are you saying well they have Hall of Fame numbers we're voting them even if they did use PEDs? Well, it's a it's it's the question. It's interesting. There's different categories. Obviously, we know that Bonds was on a trajectory that he would have made the, oh, the, yeah. the MVPs. Clemens, you know, had several sides before, you know, before he left, before he left Boston, free in Boston, you know, all right, fine. Um, however, Rafael Primero, I, I remember one day walking up, waking up, uh, funny, many, many years ago, and looking at his numbers, said, holy shit, he's going, he's got ex-hits, ex-homers. I don't feel he's a Hall of Famer. I, he doesn't have he's a, he, he doesn't pass the smell test, you know, and I don't think he would have done it without the PEDs. So Sosa mm-hmm. was a one dimensional player. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I think I mean, it's, it's hard. To, it's such it, it's, it's just so annoying. It really is. That's a great question. And I don't know if I have a, a, a fully uh, form. I think I, I'd have to just differentiate just for and, but it's an abstract argument, because if you're going to put them in, you're going to put them in. Um, so it's it, it's it is a stain. It is a it is an annoying thing. Uh, uh, for me and for many others, and obviously the, for the, a, a plurality of, of voters, because you know they're off the ballot now. McGuire's off the ballot, and and, and Bonds is off the ballot, and, and Rogers off the ballot. But A. Rod, you know, who at his best was the greatest shortstop of all time. I'll make that argument easy. Mm-hmm. His numbers, his, yeah. his accomplishments. He's number one, and and he's uh, he's not even close. You know, now mm-hmm. there's a very interesting topic. Uh, you know, is Poppy? You know, and and people. Uh, he was basically given an absolution by Rob Manfred, personally, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which which is amusing. And he sailed in, you know. And 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 um, did he? There's never, there's no, there's no uh, paper trail. I mean, there's no evidence, you know, just uh, suppositions about how a guy could be that good at you know if he is at age forty, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Right. People, right. No, but I voted for guys that were suspected because uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have, for example, uh, and and one of one. Uh, Craig Biggio, not Craig, you know, not Craig, excuse me, um, uh, Mike Piazza. Now, supposedly mm-hmm. Mike Piazza had the telltale acne on the back thing, which tells you, you know, mm-hmm. supposedly was a you know, telltale sign of, you know, but I did vote for him. Uh, I did vote for Jeff Bigelow, uh, Jeff uh, Bigelow because there was nothing on him other than the eye test. There's nothing. There's no remote connection right. uh, other than the fact that, uh, you know, but I can, um, and, and this is, this is shows how arbitrary it is. It's, you know, it's in how I just I always make the argument, I always make the example, the perfect example of a perfect baseball argument. Mm-hmm. And it, it was resolved in the 15th final year, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Mars. Now, that was all about one thing. Did you, did you respect? He was the winningest pitcher of the 80s, quote unquote. OK, mm-hmm. he won mm-hmm. 254 games. He had the, uh, the, uh, the famous 10 inning great game in, in 1981, uh, 91. Uh, you know, he, he, he but he. 
he has the highest ERA of any starter that ever has been in the Hall of Fame. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, you, but it was a baseball. So yeah, it's but it was strictly about baseball. It was just a baseball mm-hmm. argument. It didn't have to factor in. That to me was the, the perfect example of what it should be. Strictly a baseball mm-hmm. argument. You know, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. now the other thing, the other code, and, and I got trapped in this one uh, is um, personal behavior thing, as opposed mm-hmm. to PED thing. And I'll give you an example. Sure. I, I was a big proponent and staunch supporter of Omar Vizquel, mm. and who, who was as great a defensive shortstop as there was in his time. It was part of the greatest double play combo ever, he and Omar. And 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 also, when you weren't looking, sneaked in twenty seven hundred hits, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and he got involved. You know, he was tainted with a domestic disturbance. Uh, shall we be, to be polite? Uh, accusation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true or not true. Uh, you know, but the fact is that um, you know it. It, it made me uncomfortable having voted for him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and you have some of those circumstances out there. Uh, you, you could always have the, more of those circumstances. That That's a different matter. Yeah, that's not the PED matter. That's a, So it gets complicated. I'm proud to be a voter. I, I, I come from the era when uh, to be a baseball writer, uh, Hall of Fame voter is a tremendous honor, tremendous privilege. And I, I do consider it that. And I think I've been training for it my whole life, quite frankly. Uh, you know, right baseball the way I have and, and being mm-hmm. something of a amateur historian, you know, and all that, I, mm-hmm. I think I'm qualified to vote, you know, uh, yeah. on, on this matter. And, and then they, I still pass muster. So we'll see how long it goes. So as a Giants fan, I got to ask you, what do you think about Tim Lincecum? That's a classic borderline, you know, this he's in a category of guys that, that, uh, in that 200 win area, you know, size, it's a, it, it, I could I could marshal an easy devil's advocate argument, you know, for, for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely, I, 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 you don't get. There's no buzz about him, though. You know, there's no buzz. So never really outside of San Francisco. There really hasn't been a, a buzz uh, about. It. He's kind of forgotten. You know, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. He's kind of forgotten. I just remember, you know, all that. I we all wondered the same thing when he came up. How can that little guy survive going that violently? You know, with that with that motion. And he did, right. you know, he did, he did it, but it didn't survive as long as others or however, but he did. It's in, he's not kept. There's guys, a lot of guys in that low, like the low 200 win cap. Is that, is that what he has? I'm getting, I'm saying. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Louis Tiant, who I'm a big advocate of, you know, is in that category. Uh, there's a lot of, if he's in, if he's in, why isn't he in kind of thing, you know? And yeah, sure. A lot of those guys. It'll be interesting. My prediction is it'll be a long, hard role for, struggle for him. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? I, I think it's, you know, you can't, you can't deny his role in some of those giants. Right. World that, series. That's going to be a big selling point. Right. But, but his his career, I mean, as far as his, the best years of his career were so short comparatively yeah. because you're, like you said, he threw so violently, he just threw his arm out. I mean, it, it became very clear when he could no longer do and, it. And it was predicted and it's exactly what happened. <laughs> no. Yeah, and but at the same time, I can't think of there are very few pitchers and giants uh, that I can remember that are as well loved as Tim Lincecum was, or like Matt Cain was too. He was pretty, he was pretty well loved. Um, and uh, but Tim Lincecum was just kind of special because he just was always a giant, came up through the farm system, you know, and and was so young and so small and just. Everybody took to him, you know, him and Posey together. Yeah, that was just a cool thing, you know. Oh, no, he was a phenomenon, and it was, a, a, you know, I should say, beloved and, 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 and fun fun to have around in the game. And, 
yeah, and it's just things like that maybe ought to matter, you know, I, I, to a degree for, for a voter. So that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of questions I, I, I ask everybody and I want to ask you, um, you, you've had a long and awesome career and, uh, what would you say is your greatest success in life? Well, uh, and professionally, uh, it's funny, Tom Boswell told me something a long time ago to the great Tom Boswell and, and, and uh, with regard to, you know, we both were columnists. We both were beat guys at different times and, and were columnists and feature writers. I've done the whole gamut. I have been at their time a full-time feature writer, a full-time columnist for, I, that ended from, from 1989 uh, until I retired in 2012. A beat man. Um, I covered 11 Olympics and uh, mm -hmm. uh, so forth. And, and I'm proud of, you know, my column writing. I'm proud of this. But uh, quite frankly, um, he said, don't be ashamed when people praise you for your basketball, okay? Mm. Uh, as immodest as it it's going to sound, I'm sorry, I would put up my basketball game story writing on deadline with anybody that ever worked the game of basketball. Uh, mm. I, I, I will stack up. I'm, I'm proudest of, of what I was able to do with that game and, 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 uh, and my, you know, mental prime. Um, I'll put it up with anybody. I think I th that's a, so. I have to say, if I did something that I would say maybe I could do it as well or better than anybody. There are other great columnists. I would not flatter myself. I think I'm pretty good. I, I would not flatter myself to say that I'm, you know, better than certain people. Uh, and uh, but frankly, I don't know if there was a better basketball writer than I was. Frankly, tell you the truth about it, mm -hmm. analyzing and 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 having and putting the game in perspective and 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 being literate and being funny and being you know. The, and making it readable and fun for someone to yeah. either relive the game or be to uh, uh, see what they missed when they didn't write it. I used to say, I approach the game like a theater a critic that I will tell you what you missed if you weren't there and, I'll, and I will enhance the experience for you if you were there. Yeah. I think I think I did that as well as anybody I've ever read and, and, and I don't care how immodest that sounds. No, and you, I mean, yeah, yeah, if you're good at something, you should, you should know it. And so I appreciate the confidence. What do you think is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Uh, oh, wow, that's tough. In life, oh my God, yeah, we all, you know. Yeah. Um, I, no, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, you know, I happily married for 54 years. So I can tell you with great sorrow was my son died at age 38. And, 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 oh, wow. And, um, you know, he was 38 or you were 38 he was 38 and, and uh, oh i see in unusual debatable circumstances you know that's a, some people mm -hmm. know that story i you know we don't have we can't get into it here sure but uh it's um i'm put this way i'm googleable you can you can read about it it's out there and yeah. uh, uh obviously that's a great sorrow for, our, for my wife and myself and and and, and our daughter his, his sister um so you know, but I'm proud of my and I have three wonderful grandchildren who are 23 years old, triplets, his sons, his children. Um, mm. um, but I don't know. I mean, I uh, if I were <laughs> if I wanted to regret life, I wish I were better with money. <laughs> I <laughs> wish I were better with money. But uh, you know, but I uh, and things that really matter, friendships, relationships, uh, uh, and all that. I I have no complaints, and I'm totally grateful that I lucked into. Uh, a professional working circumstance. I hit the Boston Globe in 1969 when the Boston Globe in 68, as a summer intern, was in its ascendancy as a as one of the mm -hmm. great newspapers in America at a time when newspapers 
were the currency when they mattered, when, when they dominated mm-hmm. the journalistic world and, and the educational world. And, and the Globe sport, uh, wanted to have a great sports section under an editor named Tom Winship, who wasn't a great sports fan, but recognized that it mattered in the city of Boston and, and in New England and, and wanted to have a great one. And he and, and, and gave it, uh, uh, you know, and uh, okay to go do whatever they had to do. I mean, there was a period of time when I, I would go to them and say, I, I got to go do a story on this or that. And it wasn't ridiculous. You know, I want to go to Mars or, or you know, something. Mm-hmm. Um, off you went and just did it. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a, and it was a place I told you they didn't mess with my copy. They treated me great. Uh, I could not imagine a better working circumstance than I was lucked into, you know, uh, mm. working for the Boston Globe and, 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 and everything it did for me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's the reason I always ask people about the failures because I, I have noticed in my life that the things that are quote unquote failures actually I, I learn the most from and I come out uh, a stronger, better person as a result. Um, I couldn't imagine losing a son, uh, that young, my, my kids are, my kids are, are young. I've got four myself and, and they're, they're wonderful. Uh, they're, they're all wonderful, but they're younger and, and they're the light of my life. And so I, I can't imagine, uh, the sorrow that you guys felt. Uh, the last question I ask everybody on these is, you know, at some point down the road, we hope a long time from now, you're, you're going to pass away. There'll be a funeral. Someone will give you a eulogy. <laughs> what do you think the one thing is that you hope someone would say in your eulogy? That he never got old and jaded and never lost his enthusiasm for the thing that, that directed his life. And that's just this love of, of sports that, that uh, he was always open to new suggestions. He was always open to new, to welcoming new stars and, and, you know, into the, into the discussion that he, that he never, uh, uh, to, you know, I saw, I, cause I saw growing up so many guys that even by the time they hit 50 were bored and jaded and, and, and mailing it in and tired of it. Uh, I, I'm some, it's, I still love the competition. I still love games. I still love who won. I think my last words are going to be who won. And yeah. <laughs> and and that that was the key to to me, the the, the, the driving force. I, we mentioned that earlier about you know writing about people as opposed to writing about games, you know. And and for some reason I am programmed uh, to uh, appreciate this aspect of life that we call sport and and this at uh, this competition among people uh, and 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 it, it, it's fun for me to observe so i hope people you know will cite and i do think it's my calling card in the business that people associate me with enthusiasm uh and i've yeah. gathered and and i hope that's what's remembered i always love you know the thing that's cool about having a podcast and, and one that is so eclectic i mean uh, where I get to talk to so many people is that uh, I get to talk to people about their passions. And it's, I remember someone telling me I'm a big pro wrestling fan, which isn't technically a sport. It's an entertainment, but I talked to them about that. And, and they asked me, I remember they asking me something when I was younger about wrestling. And I just gave this long, exciting response. And I said, do you like wrestling? And he goes, no, but I like hearing you talk about wrestling. <laughs> right. And, and it's like, and that's, and that's what I get from you is that, you know, uh, I bet even if somebody doesn't like sports, the enthusiasm and the passion that you exude, even as we're talking for the sports uh, that you, that you love, it just exudes and it makes it fun. 
and the thing uh, I, we didn't get it, you know, not, you know, we, we centered on, on the conventional bread and butter, American sports, baseball, basketball, football, you know, et cetera. But, but uh, I, I love, comp, you know, I love the Olympics. I mentioned Olympics. I did 11 Olympics. Yeah. Walked in cold, not knowing much, particularly in the winter Olympics. And I, the only sport I knew had any interest in personally and, and at all was hockey. And, and, mm. uh, you have to immerse yourself in this newer world. And, and I, I love that world. But I mean, I like, I, I personally follow the premiership. You know, I know what's going on over there and uh, in, in, mm. in, in the premiership in England. Uh, I'm, I'm following closely the relegation thing in the end and how Leicester, who won the championship like six years ago, is in danger of being relegated now. You know, it, it, yeah. it's a circumstance we don't have in America. Um, you know, I, I'm, I just note, I note that the Italian Open has started. I know, you know, uh, you know that, and, and of course with yeah. the PGA is about is on our doorstep next week. You know, I, I care about all that stuff. I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, not to the degree, nor, nor am I as knowledgeable about him about baseball and basketball. But I mean, this is what I'm trying to portray. For some reason, you know, this is this is the way I was, you know, wired. I can't. That's it. Yeah. Well, you know what's so cool about sports, like in general, including the Olympics. I mean, there's such a there's always a, such a political a component to the Olympics that oh. that that can make or break a lot of world events. But I think what's cool about sports, you know, I thought the same thing about pro wrestling. Really, is that like you can have two people who, for Noah, would never have anything to talk about that that can connect because they love basketball baseball football the olympics they can they can talk and they can you know they can they can bond over a mutual love of something like that and that's what that's what i mean like my greatest the, the greatest thing that's happened this year for me quite frankly is watching i have two sons one is 16 and one is 10 well he's almost 10 he's 9 and they are so impassioned with basketball this year because they have a team that's good that they love that they Mm -hmm. and and watching them you know i remember my dad taking me to games Mm -hmm. and me taking them to games and seeing them get lost in the spectacle and the excitement that's just special you know and it creates a bond that they're going to remember forever sure so I'll leave you. I, I'll leave you this uh, this one because uh, it kind of harkens back to how we got started. But it, that, you know, I always like to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and, and sure. who I am and, and how I got to there. When my father would take me to a local high school basketball game, which he did often, in there, and and Trenton Catholic was a big deal in, the, in Trenton, and and they were a state power in those days, and, and it was a packed gymnasium on a Friday night. And I would uh, love the game, but I couldn't wait till Saturday morning. That was a Friday night on Saturday morning to to pick up the paper and read about the game because it wasn't validated in my mind until I had actually read about it. And and mm. not many seven, eight, nine year olds are like that. And yeah. and that that explains how I got on the path to where we're sitting here today talking about what we've been talking about. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful you were on that path. And I, I'm grateful for that you were willing to give me the time to talk. You know, this is like I said, this is what's cool about the, this podcast is. You know, I, you don't know my lineup that I just had, but I went from, I went from having a, a Mormon scholar to a drag queen, to a, for, a <laughs> WW, to a WWE uh, hall of famer uh, to, uh, uh, before you, I'm going to drop a, an actor who played in the mighty ducks movie. He was a child actor, played the goalie in the mighty ducks movie, Sean Weiss to a sports writer. And 
I just think it's so cool because I never would have met any of these people if it wasn't for the fact that I had this podcast. No, it's been fun. I've enjoyed the conversation. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, we got your information. Let's, uh, let's have you back. Maybe during, you know, if the playoffs come on, we'll see if you can come back and we could talk again. Okay. And uh, uh, email me, shoot me a mailing address. I want to send, uh, I'll, uh, or, I, or, I, or I'll have you, I'll send you the column I wrote on the, I, I don't have to do that. I can I'm email you. Column I wrote on, on, on the history of the tortured franchise of the, of the Rochester, <laughs> Cincinnati, Kansas City, Omaha, Sacramento Kings. I would love, I would love that. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. So, well, okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Subscribe. I'm uh, grateful to have this podcast. Grateful to everyone who's listened. And thank you, Bob Bryant. You've been, you've been fantastic. So long, Josh.